Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Right, we're off. Good morning to you all. I'm on a walk because it's good for the soul. Particularly lovely walk near my house. So I live, I live near Stowe on the Wold and beautiful hills. So I go for this lovely hilly walk and it's just soothing for the soul while also, you know, doing some good old-fashioned homo sapiening. Um, we've got a live show coming up, by the way. If you're coming, can you let me know on Instagram? Can you let me know on email? Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. It's a chance for a hangout. And we're going to have a little party afterwards. It's me, Tom Allen, Susie Ruffle. We're doing a crossover episode of Like-Minded Friends and homo sapiens, and we're calling it like-minded homos, because if that's not us listeners, I don't know who is. So we're all gonna get together. Oh, I'd love, maybe someone will snog. Maybe there'll be a, you know, a little dalliance between someone. We have sort of had the first homo sapiens wedding, so I'm looking for more, because I loved it. So, yeah, that's what I've got to say about that. I mean, I've got plenty to say about other things. I'll set the scene. It's one of those gray days. It's obviously been raining, but it's not currently raining now. No shadows on the ground. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Birds are sort of tweeting. It's warmer though. It does feel like winter. I'm gonna say it, slightly receding. It's losing its teeth a little, and I've seen um, snowdrops coming up out of the grass. Mm. I think they're snowdrops anyway. And yeah, so there's lots of little sprinkles of hope for 2024, which, you know, we never turned down. Car coming towards me. How intelligent are you feeling today, everybody? Are you feeling 10 out of 10? Are you feeling nine out of 10? Because we've got someone really interesting on the show today who I have been following for a while, Atamare. Now, Atamare Guabadia is a writer, um, a journalist, a model. And I first became aware of Atamare's work because of Munro Bergdorf, actually. He's a contributor for the, he writes for Vogue and The Guardian, and he really gets to the bottom of issues that speak to things that are going on for the LGBTQ plus community. And he's also a poet. He's very multi-talented, this one. And he's done this poetry collection called Unutterable Visions, Perishable Breath. And it's all about love and desire and in Atamare's words, the things we can't define. 
it's available now to buy. Um, we talk about it in the interview. Some poems are really long, some poems are just very short and they're just sentences. And he has this knack of kind of summing up what you feel in a moment. And I think that's definitely to do with the queer experience. I think it's to do with a lot of desire and shame um, <laughs> and all the other fun things. And he's a hyper, hyper intelligent person and a really um, sort of beautiful soul, you know? from a really interesting family of academics. And it's so interesting to talk to people who had like hyper clever parents because it's just a whole different upbringing, isn't it? I mean, I was watching Rugrats and eating mints with carrots in. God bless my parents, loved it. But we didn't really talk about books. We didn't really talk about cinema. We didn't really talk about those kinds of things. And we talked about creativity a lot, but in a kind of different way. So I love people who grew up reading incredible books and things like that. So that's our chat today. We're going to be talking to the delight that is Atamare. All about this poetry, but all about many other things that spiral out of it. That's coming up. Now, have you been in touch? Hello at homosapienspodcast.com. Have you been in touch? We're on TikTok. It's, the audience is growing fast. We're going viral, left, right and centre. Who knew TikTok would be our medium? But there it is. We've only just started and already people love it. So please follow us there. Um, And loads of lovely comments and stuff about the videos that we post on there. So it's been really nice to see that it's um, something that people obviously like. Because that's the only reason we do all this, listeners. Just trying to get through a gate. That's interesting. Can't really get through the gate. There we go. We do it for you. So yeah, we shall go talk to a Tamari now and you'll you'll leave just feeling 14% cleverer. I know it. Here you go. Am I right in saying you would call it just poetry or is it a mixture of things? Ooh, uh, yeah. What is a poem? It's poetry, I think, like fundamentally at its core. And I feel like for a long time, even I wasn't, poet's only a, a title and a label that I've become comfortable with in the last couple of years. That's, again, a process of letting go of my own self-consciousness about the medium of poetry, about how revealing it feels, about, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with, with poetry, it's so easy to, whether or not it's easy to be naff, it's easy certainly to be accused of being naff. I think it's an easily maligned medium. And I think that that's largely because it requires a kind of emotional commitment from, from the reader and the writer. It requires buy-in from, from the reader. It requires that the, the writer be, you know, kind of unashamed. Mm. I've always read poetry, but I've gone into writing poetry over these last few years. The oldest poems in this are about a decade, decade old, and the most recent ones are from the last sort of couple of months. Precisely because, like, in the shedding of that self-consciousness about, you know, being is being pretentious i think that moving through all of that opinion that people have about poetry enabled me to reach a place where it's a practice of trying to make myself legible um Mm -hmm. to not just to to others but particularly to myself i'm writing these poems to to understand myself to unburden myself you know to, Mm. to move forward and to remember you know the good times as well as the 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 harder times so that's why i got into poetry if that's a concise-ish answer. I'm not sure it was coherent, but... Yeah, it absolutely was. And one of the things you said there was poets don't feel ashamed of their shame, which is what it normally is. 
Do you think that is what is at the heart of a lot of poetry? I think, yes. At the core of a lot of poetry, a lot of popular and a lot of really famous poetry is shame. You think of all you think of the war poets, you think of Plath. I think at the core of, of, of a lot of writing, uh, poetic practices is, is shame. But I think more so is, is beauty, is love, is vulnerability, and trying to distill down what are the bare emotions. The reason I ask you that is I, I think you do it really well, but I also feel like something that bounces around in my head a lot like, why do we tell stories? Like, what are we trying to say with all stories? And I do come back to this thing of like, I think stories and poems and music is there to help us make contact with parts of ourselves that we aren't actually raised to have contact with mostly, you know, and I don't mean this critically of most people but I don't think most of us know how to make contact with that stuff. So when you read a Sylvia Plath poem or you read some of your poems, it's like there that person is saying that thing that I have felt but haven't been able to articulate. Mm. It's um, Baldwin that talks about, you know, you feel that your, your pain is you know, unprecedented in the history of the world and then you read. For me, that has certainly been my experience. That was my experience reading, reading Fitzgerald, for example, reading um, Oscar Wilde, reading Wolf was that I, you know, I felt like I had all of these unprecedented feelings and pain. And actually the real, like, reality is, no, there's, there's nothing, absolutely nothing new. And yeah, and I think that most of us are not necessarily raised to, to be in, in touch with like the, the deepest parts of ourselves. I think we're often, you know, raised to shun them, we're raised to be more unemotional than we are. We're raised to, to dissemble and to, to present one face to the world while feeling one entirely different thing. I feel like that's, you know, if we had a culture, it would be a culture of dissembling. And I do this now because I think that it's, it's necessary like, to have an open and honest emotional life. And if that helps other people feel, feel seen, feel, you know, feel in some ways made whole, then that's like wonderful. I'm assuming the past and I'm exalting it and I'm trying to understand the, the things that made me the way that I am, um, the things that happened to me, how I became the person I am and how we move forward. So you're talking about Fitzgerald and all these kind of incredible writers of different kinds I'm immediately like okay so what household was that where that was that the norm do you have fiercely intelligent parents (laughs) like were you raised reading this stuff or did you find it I think the answer, the answer to that is yes I do have fiercely intelligent parents my sister oldest sister in particular was a voracious reader um and I kind of followed suit I was a voracious reader my parents read a lot we had those encyclopedias. A lot of these things I didn't discover, you know, necessarily growing up. I only read The Great Gatsby for the first time when I was maybe 15. And that has had like a marked impact on my life. I think that loads of people will regret me ever reading that book. But I think it's had a marked impact on my life. And I mean, I always wish that I had the reading habits I have I had when I was younger than I as I do now. You know, like I, I had in my mind to read, I read all 13 of a series of unfortunate events. And I read them, I read them like there was no, like there was no tomorrow. And now I just seem to, like reading, reading often feels like it's at the expense of something else these days. Like it feels like, you know, there's something else you should be doing. Even though it's such an edifying process, I feel like we've, it's like become a thing that's deprioritized even to writers. It's new things as well. It's things that I read um, a couple of weeks ago or things I read earlier this year that perhaps made, like given me an entirely new perspective and have like 
wind their way into the heart of the work. I know, so know what you mean about deprioritizing reading, and I'm terrible, like terrible now. I was also reminded of this thing that I read obs on Instagram or similar, like saying, if you read something about a big event, like a big thing, like a world event or a big topic, and you, after reading it, now think what that article or thing said, it is a sign you haven't read enough around it. Because you should view everything as like a composite, you know. It should be composite and critical, you know, and like, and you should take in, take in like views and opinions you know, across a spectrum of thoughts. I feel like you should be constantly challenging everything that you're told, always. Tell me more about growing up then. So were you born in California? I was born in London. I was born in London. I lived, I moved to California shortly after until I was about five. Then I, uh, I lived in California. The, uh, uh, I lived in California as I was five. And then I moved to Nigeria, lovely Nigeria, where my family are from. I moved back to England like 10 ish years later. I, I moved around quite a lot. I think that that has informed some of the more mercurial parts of identity. It's certainly how I look at things, how I look at, at home, at belonging, at people in places, you know, and, and, how, and, and, and also just windows into divergent lives that I might have, like, led had I stayed in the place. So then you go to Nigeria and you're five. And so tell me about that and tell me about being a n- nascent young queer kid and all of that. I mean, Lagos is an incredible place. I grew up in Lagos. I would say. Um, my family lived in Lagos. Was it easy always? No. But did I love it? Yes. And I think that like something I something I tackle in the book is looking back. Memory is a is an interesting window. It, it, it's a it's a fallible window. And and we remember things, you know, not necessarily for what they were, but I only remember the, the real highs of living there. It was like a wonderful and really formative experience there's definitely a part of myself that like is at odds with like a with like a society which was was not necessarily queerphobic by design but i mean unless it was queerphobic by british design thinking about the the impact that colonialism had on on nigeria the toll the cost the loss of culture the cold the toll that it had on on Benin city where we're from or the Benin bronzes that are still in the british museum And that was unfortunately part of the great cost of of colonialism is that like there's been an eradication of like a native interpretation of queer, of queerness and queer identities. Like, you know, I think that it will be replaced by a penal code and and by um, Christian missionaries. It's quite, uh, in many ways, quite a a Christian conservative, you know, quite a a religious conservative nation. But I was still surrounded at times by love. But then it was very clear that there are aspects of your identity you could just tell that the place you at, at at odds with everyone else. You never have, you never necessarily have the words for it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And when did you feel that you could express all your full queer gorgeousness? Did you ever feel safe? Do you even feel safe now? I sometimes worry that my courage is, is shrinking. Not because I, I think that it's in any way like dim, truly diminished today. I think I still think that there's something steadfastly stubborn about my desire to express myself precisely as I do, you know, you know much to the embarrassment of myself or others. I think that like when you were young, you like, there's it's so strange. The world is safe from responsibility, and the the courage I had to come out to embrace like queer identity and queer aesthetics, even when I was like you know sixteen, seventeen, is just so. It's not so foreign to me, but in an age where I, c- I can like Uber to places as opposed to taking public transport, if we'll avoid, you know, even a moment of discomfort from the public. But I think for the most part, like the ways in which I dress now are increasingly, sometimes they're not, but increasingly normative. You know, I wear suits and ties. Um, I am comfortable, but I, I'm not as comfortable as I was when I was slightly younger. I wouldn't say I delighted in rebellion, but I... I wanted to, I believed so strongly in this person that I, that I had every right to be. And I still believe that, but I think that I, I pick my battles more, which is kind of sad to say. I just, I don't know, maybe it is just getting slightly older. A small part of that aspect of my life, I think, has, like, has shrunk. I think when you're younger, you're trying to work out who you are. Yeah. And so you kind of go, is this who I am? Let me put it on. Is this who I am? Let mm. me put it on. But then once you get a bit older and you kind of work out who you are, I don't think you need the put it on bit anymore. I think that when you're young, you have all of this conviction, right? You like you have all of this conviction about the person who you are and you want to be. And I think the, the older I get, the more I realize that like even through writing, through, through living, that I have no idea who I am you know, <laughs> or who I want to be. I, something I think about often is, and people talk about this all the time, you know, like you, your parents, you think, I realize now that I'm older than my, I, I'm the I'm the age my, my parents were when they had me. Adulthood is like a kind of like false state of consciousness. I don't think and it, it, it agrees. Like where perhaps we can say that childhood ends at some point, but adulthood is not, is not anything solid. It's, it's realizing that like your parents on, your parents, much like, you know, the Pope are not actually infallible. They do the best with what they have. And sometimes they don't even do the best, they, they, you know, <laughs> and that's and that's the, the simple reality of, the, of of it is realizing that we we're deeply mortal people who who are constantly searching. Emily Dickinson says, you know, I'm out with and searching for myself. I'm still looking for myself. I'm sure that my parents are still looking for themselves. And I think that that's that's the something I'm I'm realizing that I like I, I give more I give the most grace I've ever given to people, perhaps because you know, like I know what it's like to feel lost and and. I feel like we all at some times feel like, you know, we're in the wilderness. I'm just trying to get to myself and, you know. And yeah, I mean, when I think about like 
so one of my friends' mum, when we met them all when we were on holiday and we were kids, and I remember she was 41. I'm pretty sure she was 41 when we met her. And I just remember her being like, when I was a, a nine or something, and I remember just being like, she must know everything. And now I'm that yeah. age and I'm like. Secrets of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah, now you're like, oh my God, I don't, I know fuck all. <laughs> that's, that's how I feel anyway. Oh my God. I totally feel like that. Graduate sounding like we know what we're talking about. I certainly am good at sounding like I know what I'm talking about. Yes. And I also think that we do it because if we pretend there's these people, like you say, the Pope or parents, like there are people around who know everything, then we're all okay. And this isn't actually just, you know, without being too... A dumpster fire. Nihilistic. Yeah, like it's like, it, this is just a dumpster fire spinning on a rock in infinity of blackness. Exactly, I mean? like, precisely that. <laughs> Maybe it's terrifying to have to confront that. I think that sometimes we give too much credence to the idea that individually we're somehow uniquely awful and uniquely messy and, and uniquely damaged. And I don't know that there is... I don't know that there's that much uniqueness left in the world. <laughs> that makes wow. any sense <laughs> i just i don't yeah i mean yeah i have i have damage i have damage but so does everyone else yes and we've actually got you know we've got a lot we've all got a lot of common that we can learn from each other about that i wanted to ask you about going to oxford mm. um because uh if i'm right butterscotch boys is referring to those <laughs> days no it is it is <laughs> And I think that I, if I recall what inspired it, I think it was a particularly hot summer's day. And there's this thing called trashing, which I think happens in the new salt in, in Saltburn, but I haven't seen it. From the trailer, there was a confetti explosion, which looked a lot like a trashing. And a trashing is a thing that happens after your exams. I don't know if this happens anymore, but it, it, it used to be that you finished your exams, you came out of the exam schools, you go out onto the street behind and people would be waiting for you with booze and champagne and like, you know, carbon prosecco, um, but also with food and pies. People would like throw cake at you and like slap you with a fish. I, I got slapped with a fish. And like shaving foam and whipped cream and tomato, cans of tomato soup and baked beans and flour. I just remember, I remember being at a trashing or some trashings and just these perfect, like beautiful boys strip down and jump into the river. It was just, it was such a vivid, such a vivid memory I have of that, of that incident. And even perhaps a, a vivid misremembering. Who knows if it was ever actually that special, that impressive, or, or with, with everything that I've, you know, with the life that I've led since, would I, would I find that particularly charming if I saw it now but at the time it was and it's interesting because yeah I I suppose it struck me because this was this is my interpretation was like I went to like a very kind of uptight private school but uh those times are frozen in you know uh they're formative right mm. but there were these kind of beautiful boys at that, that school they were just they were they sort of had everything and were everything and Saltburn really took me back to those I need to see those it. kids who it, yeah. just yeah it really captured for me and I don't know if you found this at Oxford but like privilege is a wild thing to be around that kind of complete blinkering that it does to people and I'm I'm not saying like 
I'm outside of that. You know, I no. live within my own bubble of privilege. Yeah, as we, as do we all, and as do I. You know, seeing the prison, the prison that privilege creates for some people, which which they seem to, to never be able to escape. You know, is is a wonder. I guess, I guess I wonder how uh, you know, perhaps people may have been trained to envy them, but I like that perhaps the whole thing can be like hideously like piteous and sometimes sometimes you know an abundance of privilege makes our lives smaller than it does than, than they do make them than does make them bigger i guess how do you feel about going to oxford and places like that now like do you feel differently about it than when you were there because i i feel like even in the time that has passed i think it was viewed as something that was like amazing whereas now i feel like it's possibly viewed as somewhere that it's, it seems to exclude I think there are a couple of things that are true. I think that, like the, exp- I think that the experience of a place like like Oxford or Cambridge is so there's like a kind of abundance abundance of educational resources because a disproportionate amount of the money and educational resources in this country are funneled into those schools. You know, through legacy, through 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 institutions. Through I think that I think that's the reality. I think that the reason that it, it, I, if I could say it was such a special experience is because you know because it's an experience that has, has been foreclosed upon too many at the, like, you know, it's an experience that has, has been made, you know, at the expense, the expense of, of a more equitable distribution of, of, of wealth and resources. That's why, you know, you get, you get what's meant to be like a world-class education. And I guess that being said, I just, ivory towers are beautiful to look at and they're beautiful to be in for the most part. I think that it needs to be, you know, for the many, and not for the few. I think we need to deprioritize. That I think the. I don't want to say that. I think it, it comes across as privilege. Said the Oxford conversation is tired, but I do think that it distracts from important discourse that has to be happening about like cuts to schools, about cuts to funding, about you know about the status of private schools. I think that like there is so much that happens in the education pipeline before a person even reaches stage. There is a terrible like letdown and a terrible abdication of like of political duty and of governmental duty and i think that that should be like a priority in like discourse and i also think that we need to like we need to divert more resources to to other universities to other institutions to other means of public learning god bless atamari that was a lovely chat um let us know what you thought. Let us know your other favourite poetry and poems. Go and get the book, by the way. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com at homosapiens on Instagram. TikTok, as I mentioned earlier. Wonderful stuff. Okay, send us things. You know how much I love it. Alrighty, bye now. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.